Welcome, welcome, welcome to Accepted, the College Admissions Inside Scoop, brought to you by Canisius College. This is your host, Matt Kwiatowski, Assistant Director of Undergraduate Admissions here at Canisius. And today, um, we have the pleasure of James Nowak being here. He's one of our uh, financial aid officers here at Canisius, and uh, we're going to be talking a little bit more about the FAFSA. We're here to debunk some of the big questions and things that happen on it. Um, and we're going to kind of let James introduce himself real quick. So, James, if you want to go ahead. Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, my name is James Nowak. I am the Financial Aid Compliance and Process Improvement Officer here at Canisius, and uh, happy to join you. Awesome. Thanks, James. Um, James is a great resource we have here at Canisius, in addition to all of our other staff in our financial aid office that are, are always ready and willing to help out with students and families as they're kind of going through this daunting process of applying for financial aid. And hopefully after this podcast today, there'll be some uh, debunking of some of the, the dauntingness of it, of course. So, um, so uh, you know, James, why don't you kind of outline a little bit about the general timeline and process of uh, FAFSA and also applying for financial aid with college? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I think it's important to understand, um, you know, the timing of all of this year over year. For a student who's, you know, filing for the first time ever, um, you know, that, that date on the calendar to circle really is October 1st. So, uh, you know, to use this academic year as an example, October 1st of 2020, excuse me, October 1st of 2021 was the first day that a student could file a FAFSA for the 22-23 academic year. So that's the fall of 2022, spring of 2023. Um, and you'll do that using uh, 2020 tax information. Okay, this is important. So um, you're always going back a year in terms of, of tax information. And the reason for that, uh, probably six or seven years ago, the Department of Ed decided you know, you don't really have a chance to file taxes, most people don't anyways, until at least February or March. So if you're waiting until February or March to file a FAFSA, that doesn't really give you a lot of time to make a decision, right? So uh, the Department of Ed decided you can file a FAFSA in October, uh, so it's really the fall of your senior year um, for, you know, for incoming freshmen um, using year-old tax information. So the easiest way to, to um, confirm your tax info is by using what's called the IRS data retrieval tool. So when you're in the FAFSA, and I'll talk a little bit more about exactly how to access the FAFSA and um, you know about what a, uh, uh, what's called an FSA ID. But basically, you want to transfer your tax information directly from the IRS using what's called the IRS data retrieval tool. So essentially, um, you're transferring verified tax information from the federal government, from the IRS, I should say. Um, and what's nice about that is should you be selected for what's called verification, um, your, your tax information is considered verified. We won't. So just to kind of maybe take a step back, really the, the first step in the, in the process of filing FAFSA is to create what's called an FSA ID. So um, the website is FSA ID, so federal student aid ID, um, you have to create a student FSA ID, and then you have to walk right back in at the beginning and create a parent FSA ID. So you have um, essentially two usernames and passwords that you'll use to log in and access the FAFSA and also to provide an electronic signature. So James, just to clarify with the FSA ID, um, that basically acts as a liquid signature, right, um, for, for each person. So it's very important not to duplicate um, materials when you're you're making those FSA IDs, right? Yeah, for sure. So so it's important. So, so there's, there's a, um, when you apply for an FSA ID, 
that inf the information that you provide, which will be, you know, your your personal information, like your, you know, your date of birth, but also your social security number, um, which all kind of ties together to, to um, create your, your um, unique record. This is your FSA ID for your for the rest of your life. Okay, so so as a student, you're going to file FAFSA year over year over year, and then maybe as a graduate student, and maybe as a professional level student, and maybe um, 25 years from now, you're going to use that same FSA ID to sign for your for maybe for your children to, to go to school, right? Because your parents also need to sign the FAFSA. So um, really, this all to say, um, be very careful and meticulous when you're creating this FSA ID. Um, save the information because if you lose it, it can be a pain in the butt to retrieve it. Um, but it's very important that you get through this part of the process um, with accurate information because it can really slow you down. Absolutely. Um, so, James, what are some um, common mistakes or, or things that are misunderstood about applying for financial aid and, and maybe even using the FAFSA? What are you like maybe your top three or four things? Sure. So, um, you know, I think it's important, you know, for, for students who have filed FAFSA before, I think a, a lot of the learning curve happens that first first time around. I think a lot of the issues that, that pop up tend to pop up for first-time filers. So, um, you know, as an example, there are a lot of kids who um, maybe um, consider themselves to be independent from their parents, right? Um, because either they move down to the parents' house or maybe they don't get along with their parents or the parents don't support them financially, so they think, I'm on my own here. Um, only my information goes on the FAFSA. And unfortunately, in the eyes of the Department of Education, you are dependent on your parents' tax information until one of five uh, circumstances set in. That's either you turn 24 years of age, you're married, you support a child, um, you're enrolled in a graduate program, or you are in the military. So those are really the automatic uh, dependent to independent uh, markers, right? Um, you know, we answer this question a ton, right? You leave parent information off the FAFSA and now now we have, a, we have a lot of cleaning up to do, right? Because not only we have to get that information in the student's hands, first of all. So, you know, maybe we think that you filed incorrectly. Um, but most importantly, now the parent has to create that FSA ID. And then the parent has to go into that FAFSA, add income information, add personal information, add income information, then sign the FAFSA. So you're talking about a lot of processing time if you really want to process time, right? So, um, you know, that's a really common I guess, misconception going into the filing process. And then, um, you know, a lot of, um, I'm trying to think of like other other things that usually trip students up. Um, you know, missing signatures are, are a huge piece to this. You can submit the FAFSA without signing it. We're not gonna offer you financial aid until we have that signature. So it's really important that you walk through one step at a time. So step one is to create that student FSA ID. Step two is to create that parent FSA ID. Step three is to complete the FAFSA and then sign it using both of those FSA IDs. And then finally, you know, step four, I guess, for New York State residents would be to complete the New York State TAP application. So um, again, for New York State resident undergraduate students, I like to think of the application, the annual application, right? Because you have to do this every year. So every October, we have to be thinking about this, but it's really two steps. It's FAFSA and it's TAP. Okay? In the FAFSA process, it's not as daunting excuse me, as daunting as maybe it once was. They've really trimmed the application down where they could. It's as easy as getting those two FSA IDs, getting the FAFSA submitted. Um, I guess it is worth mentioning, you know, um, right now we're in mid-January, um, two applications are currently open. 
2021-22 application because we're in the tail end of the 21-22 academic year and also obviously the 22-23 application moving into next year. So it's important that you're applying for the right year. Yeah, I know that's a common issue that does happen is that students will often maybe fill out the wrong FAFSA. Yep. Uh, the signature is definitely an issue that we see a lot. Um, but also making sure you add um, the school's ID yeah, onto the FAFSA as well. Um, for the record, Kenesha says it's 002681. Um, and it's actually very easy to do it when you're in the FAFSA. You literally can look up any school and it can add it on there. And do you know how many schools you can add on to a FAFSA? Yes, you can add 10. Um, and you can actually add more than that, but it's a subsequent process once you get beyond the 10. I don't see any reason. I, I don't know if I've had a handful of students maybe, um, I've been doing this a little while, who have, who have needed kind of more than 10 schools, um, you know. Um, but I did want to mention, uh, you mentioned the, uh, the school code. Um, if you happen to have filed a FAFSA and maybe you put a different school you want to add Canisius, um, that's a really simple uh, amendment to the FAFSA. So you would log log right back in and initiate a FAFSA correction. And what's nice is they've actually put the ability to change schools, add schools, or take schools off like in a unique button mm -hmm. on the on the FAFSA. So um, it's pretty clearly outlined how you would walk into the FAFSA, add that school code, and submit that FAFSA correction. So that's another. Yeah, and I think it's definitely a case, like you said, um, the FAFSA is definitely easier than it used to be, even sure. more from. You know, I graduated from undergrad um, almost 10 years ago, and I can tell you it's definitely easier than when my parents had to do it, uh, mm -hmm. where you had to go back in, update it, sure. um, do all these extra steps. So yep. um, they definitely have come a long way um, in, in the FAFSA being a little bit more approachable for families, especially families who may be the first one a student's going off to college. Yep. Um, so, you know, student completes the, and their parents complete their FAFSA. Um, you know, what are kind of what happens next? Sure. Um, on our side of the house and maybe also give like some timelines there like when they can expect responses typically from you know us but in general sure so uh, as we mentioned you know up to 10 schools can be added to FAFSA so um, processing timelines across those schools will vary right um, here at Canisius if you file a FAFSA uh, as an incoming freshman today January 19th um, I think, you know, it would be reasonable to expect that, assume, obviously assuming that all your ducks are in a row on that FAFSA. Uh, let me start by saying if they're not, we're going to touch base with you, right? So if I see a FAFSA that's missing a signature, we're proactive in that we kind of catch that stuff, bounce it back to the student, say, hey, we got your FAFSA, just so you know X, Y, and Z is missing. Uh, but assuming all of your ducks are in a row, you can expect to be packaged with financial aid. So essentially what we do is we, we package up any financial aid that you were offered from uh, essentially from three places, right? So from uh, the admissions office, so that would come in the form of your merit scholarship, um, and then any financial aid that you might be eligible for from the uh, Department of Education, so that's the that's the federal side of things, and that's applied for by, by submitting that FAFSA application. We'll also estimate what we think you might be eligible for um, from New York State Tech. The reason for that is New York State's a little bit behind in, in those award determinations, and we want we have a good idea based on the information provided on the FAFSA, so we, we throw an estimate out there, and then New York State confirms that award down the road. Um, and then, obviously, institutional financial aid that will come from our financial aid office that you need-based aid, um, and again, your FAFSA is really your application for that as well. So the timing on an award letter should, shouldn't be longer than maybe seven to ten business days after we receive that clean FAFSA. Um, and then at that point, you're going to get a detailed look at cost, right? First of all, what is it? What is the gross cost, right? And then what's your net cost based on, you know, the sort of cascade of financial aid that, that we're expecting to pay out of that. So that should all be wrapped up within a week or two. 
Um, once you have that award letter, I think that's a really outstanding time for you to touch base with our alumnus, right? Because we can have that conversation about, yeah, I mean, uh, there, there's a lot of numbers on that award letter. What we need to get down to is what is this going to cost you? And not only for one semester or one year, but I'd like to detail program costs, right? What's the total investment here? And more importantly, you know, we can have a little bit of a conversation on what the return on that investment is, right? So, you know, if you have to borrow $40,000 to get through a business degree, okay, what, what do you expect to earn with that business degree? What does it look like to repay $40,000? Those are the kind of conversations that you want to be having now, as opposed to six months after you graduate, completely blindsided by what your new monthly payments going to be. Right? So, so yeah. it's a, a really important time to be engaging with financial aid offices of interested in and really comparing that true cost. Yeah, and I will say from the admissions perspective too is that like you don't ever have to feel like you can't ask us either because you know a lot of those you know surface level questions you might have about your award letter, um, we're more than happy to walk through that stuff with you guys. Um, you know if you're kind of getting more in the weeds or maybe have specific questions, uh, financial aid is always available to help out with those questions. Um, and as James said, you know when you're looking at a school, you know there's the sticker price which you know you know, talk about and see, and we're kind of like, what's the sticker cost? Um, and then we have the actual net cost and the bottom line of, you know, what is it actually going to cost your family out of pocket? Um, and also, like, as we've talked about before, there's other ways to alleviate that cost even of, you know, payment plans or um, also making sure that you're looking at it correctly because some people look at it and they think like, oh, this is what it costs per semester. Can you just like, oh, no, this is the whole year. Sure. So you divide by two. Um, so it might, it might seem a lot more approachable than when you divide that number by two because right. um, it's per semester. Um, so now that we, um, you know, have that net cost and we're comparing from school to school, yep. um, you know, what is what is the next step after, like, you're kind of comparing those those schools yep. um, and, like, what, would, what is there to do next? But also, um, what can a student apply, do to apply for additional funds possibly? Sure. Yeah, it's a great question. And it's like the next logical step, right? So we hopefully, you know, you've got through the application process and you've got an award letter and, and hopefully you've had a conversation with us so you have a, a pretty good understanding of what your net cost is. That's really the, uh, the goal at this point, right? We want to figure out what, what it will cost to attend Canisius. Um, once you know, uh, now I think it's time to turn your attention to how to lower that cost, right? Um, and I think for, for uh, Canisius students, uh, you know, we have a really unique uh, scholarship search tool uh, that I would encourage all, all students to take uh, full advantage of. Um, so you can go to uh, canisius.scholarshipuniverse.com. Uh, we partner with a company called Campus Logic. Um, and what they've done is they've created an external scholarship dashboard, uh, essentially, where students can create a profile, answer matching questions, and there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of matching questions. So um, I tell students, you know, maybe on Sundays, right, hop in there for a half hour, answer 50 matching questions, it'll take you 15 minutes, and then apply for one scholarship, right? That's just a, a way to keep it manageable, keep momentum, um, because without a, without a tool like this, you, you're kind of left to your own devices. You go to scholarships.com, maybe someone in your guidance office at, in your high school um, has some ideas for you. But um, really what, what, what this search, search tool provides is, is a way to sort of vet those opportunities that are out there and leave yourself with the ones that are mo most worth your time. Mm -hmm. um, a key element to, to the Campus Logic product is that they, they have a team who researches and every one of these opportunities to make sure of a couple of things. First,
first that it's actually a real scholarship. And it's unfortunate that they have to do this work, but if you go to scholarships.com, 10 or 15 or maybe even 20% of the opportunities out there may may not even have scholarship money at the end of that application or retention money, right? Um, a lot of times it's, a, it's an information grab and they want people to put as much data in there as they can. Um, so Scholarship Universe makes it, uh, it, it at least confirms that you're not wasting your time when you're putting in these applications. And I tell students too, if you don't do that whittling down process that matching questions really afford, um, you know, you could go out there and find uh, business scholarships, right? Who are you up against? You're yeah. up against every other undergraduate business student in the, co in the country, right? Mm -hmm. So um, this really uh, allows you to find something unique about you, the applicant, and seek out scholarships that yeah, it's a nice. It's a nice um, so James, um, you know, we're wrapping up our time frame here, and um, we appreciate you coming on here and talking a little bit more about these specific, um, you know, FAFSA-driven questions and financial aid questions. Um, I want our listeners to know that you know our financial aid office is always open to talking with prospective students and families that are coming through this tough decision, um, because we want to make this decision process a lot easier for you and get rid of some of those myths. So, um, you know, I want to thank James for, for coming on here today. Uh, we really appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for having me. And, and as Matt said, you know, um, now is the time to be having this conversation, right? So please don't hesitate to touch base with us. Let's have that true cause conversation. We really, um, you know, that's why we're here is to, to answer those, those questions and, and make sure that students are as prepared as possible financially for, um, you know, what will be the, the biggest investment that they'll probably make into themselves in their lifetime. So, um, yeah, we are absolutely here, uh, here to help. Awesome. So um, this is the end of our episode um, of Accepted, the College Admissions Inside Scoop, brought to you by Canisius College. This is Matt signing off, and go Griffs!